0: it is a systemic problem it is one of our national health crises right violence and all the impact emotionally and physiologically that happens from Mm -hmm. experiencing covert emotional abuse or domestic violence
1: hey midlife ladies
0: this
2: is the dear midlife podcast unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm
1: Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic.
2: So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. Before we get started with our interview today, all of you moms with teenagers out there, listen up. Trinity and I are participating in a very cool digital event aimed to support moms of teens called the Midsummer Refresh. This event features interviews with over 30 speakers on topics that are near and dear to both moms and teens, such as keeping your relationship strong through the fires of the teens, productivity hacks for teens and parents, helping sensitive parents handle rude teens, how to get your teens to listen to you, how to avoid parenting the way your parents did. And Trinity and I will speak to all moms on the topic of becoming you. This event runs between October 24th and 30th and features a variety of pre-recorded interviews daily for you to enjoy at your convenience. Don't forget to sign up using the link in the show notes. We can't wait to see you there. So I think by now our listener knows that I was in a toxic relationship with a covert narcissist. And a few episodes ago, I know that you also had a realization that perhaps you unknowingly had also been in a relationship with a narcissist.
1: Yes. Yes. I had no idea. And then the information that our guest was sharing, it just resonated with me it shined a light on what I had been unable to see on my own.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And thankfully, I have a close circle of friends, shout out to all my girls, you know who you are out there, that mm-hmm. opened my eyes to this behavior as manipulative and abusive. But the hard thing is that this behavior can sometimes be so pervasive. It's mm. it's difficult to see. And I I didn't see it for mm-hmm. a decade or more.
1: Yes, it is so true, Shelby. And then being able to put names to behaviors, as our guest, Annette Altmans, does really can be helpful for our listener out there who's questioning her relationship, who's maybe even questioning her own sanity. Right. Look, the labels and definitions, they help to expose the patterns yes. of
2: narcissism that we are dealing with. Yes. And honestly, this is exactly what our guest Annette Altman's aims to do because she is also the victim of covert emotional abuse herself and the founder and CEO of The MEND Project, which is a nonprofit organization aimed at educating victims, survivors, helpers, and first responders on hidden emotional abuse, domestic violence, and what she's coined as double abuse, which we'll dive Mm. into in the course of our podcast today.
1: Yeah, I, I'm just so impressed by the years of research that she's conducted, that hundreds of interviews mm-hmm. with victims, with therapists, and with faith-based leaders. The results of her research were used in creating the MEN Projects, responding to abuse curriculum that we're studying today. She has so many valuable resources on the MEN Projects site. So check it out, ladies.
2: Check it out. And to our listener out there who is just maybe on the path that I was on years ago and starting to have this slow realization that, oh shit, this is actually describing my relationship. Please know that you are not alone. I always get so choked up about this because if this content and messaging is resonating with you, it is so important that you get help and that you get out. And if you need help, let us know. If you feel like this message is connecting with you, leave us a review, share the episode with someone that you know might benefit from hearing this same message and check out the resources that we'll provide you in the show notes on the Men Project website so that you can start putting names and labels to the thoughts and feelings that you're having because these are real and tangible things, ladies. And now we welcome to the show... Annette Altman's. Thank you so much, Annette, for being here with us today. We're excited to have you. Welcome. You, welcome yes. welcome you to you the guys. middle. Welcome to the middle. And I want, if I may, to just start with a personal story that really articulates the difficulty that is this covert narcissism And this personal story is my ex-husband, I believe very firmly is a covert narcissist. And he recently moved with his wife to Hawaii and was trying to get my children to move to Hawaii with him. And he was working very hard to alienate my children and separate them from me and coerce them really to move to Hawaii. And it was so maddening because it was very hard to articulate to someone else a lawyer in this instance, what in fact was happening from my perspective, he would send a subtle picture to both children and myself included and say, Oh, gee, look here, here is the beach in Hawaii. It's so sad. You girls aren't here. I hope you're having a great day. But it's the little things like that, where I know it's a subtle reminder to me that I made a choice to keep my children living in our current place of residence And not allow them to move to Hawaii. And also it was a subtle reminder to them that he wanted to allow them to move to Hawaii and that he's the good guy and I'm the bad guy. And I think that explaining that to someone else was very difficult to really communicate that this is a form of manipulation. Right, So, it can't
1: be like, what's the big you... deal of that? Of course, he's just sending what's pictures to his deal? kids.
2: Now, not sent a picture. So, Annette, I know that you have an expertise in this area of covert narcissism and giving women a voice because you <sighs> help them to better articulate what it is that they're experiencing. So you, can you help us understand how you got on this path with, understanding covert narcissism and how you help women to communicate what's happening to them.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I'm sorry that you're going through that with your ex spouse. I see that all the time where there's different forms of parental alienation yeah. and really there's such a motivation for the narcissist to win. Um mm. It's not about what's in the best interest of all parties. They just really need to be the winners of any given issue. And the kids are often a tool in that process. And, you know, if he, if the kids moved where he is, then he would have less child support to pay and there's all other motivating factors so I'm I'm just really sorry you're going through that. For me, I experienced covert emotional abuse in my marriage for 15 years um, before I asked for a wow. Acceptance. And it's you know typically uh, women are in these relationships. It's mostly women victims, but not always. But they're in these relationships for many years and even decades before they're able to unravel the truth about the dynamics that are playing out Mm -hmm. in the relationship, because these tactics that narcissists or abusers use, not all abusers are narcissists, but all narcissists are abusers. These tactics are things like, I'll just read off a couple blame shifting. For example, Mm. you are trying to, to raise a reasonable complaint or concern and suddenly the the table gets turned and you are at fault for being too critical, or it could be any number of things. But now suddenly you find yourself wondering, am I being too critical? Do I need to apologize? Because the victim is an empath. They have a motivation to connect on a deeper level, to have a secure attachment with their partner. And so usually those reasonable complaints and concerns are to bring the relationship to a higher level of emotional intimacy. And Mm -hmm. for a narcissist who's emotionally very immature, their motivation is to power over and win Mm -hmm. every argument because they feel they have limited coping skills to deal with your emotions. They don't understand their own emotions. So they're Mm -hmm. threatened by emotions and don't integrate others emotions, they aren't empathic. And so they just want to power over and they look at every conversation as a win lose situation, and they need to win. That's just uniformly true. They aren't able to be held accountable by their spouse, they have responsibility deficit disorder, that's not a real uh, diagnosis, Mm -hmm. but they (laughs) don't want to accept responsibility to them. That is a lose They they have to have humility. And for them, humility means humiliation. So they don't, they're operating from an entirely different playbook. And so with Blame shifting is one, but it could even be a lot of relationships like this start out with subtle joking, where the Mm. joke at the victim's expense, you know, and when you think about a joke, it takes a reasonable level of intellect to be funny and to create a good humor (laughs) joke that everyone can laugh at.
1: I'm so, I'm so smart, just so you
2: know,
0: (laughs) well, not all of us have that gift. I, have, <laughs> right. I don't have that gift. But if you do have that gift, it really is—it's an intellectual gift. And but a, a narcissist jokes—jokes jokes are always at the victim's expense or it's someone's right. so that not those everyone, little
1: digs—they're digs, right? My mama used to say, "There's always a little bit of truth in a joke, honey." Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're putting that little truth in there, couching it in a joke in order to chip away just another piece yeah. of your soul.
0: Yes. And that is one of the first signs that you're going to end up in a narcissistic relationship. They mm-hmm. test waters by putting you down in these little digs. And if you're a victim, let's say your thighs are being teased. They're, your mm-hmm. thighs are down yeah. under thighs, or I'm just picking a body part because they typically right. do that. And if the victim says, ouch, that really was hurtful. I don't appreciate you putting me down in that way. Then Mm -hmm. the abuser will say something like, "Oh, you're too sensitive."
2: Yeah,
1: it's you. Now
0: suddenly the victim is insulted by the joke, and now she's told she's too sensitive. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a double whammy. That really was blame shifting. We're now saying it's because she's too sensitive, and that becomes it it becomes a deep valley that is hard to climb out of. um, When an abuser or a narcissist will use multiple behaviors, I'll bring up another one: countering you might say, I have a preference for, I mean, it could be even in the intimacy department in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. If you're in the bedroom and you say, I prefer this, or please don't do that. um, It's not uncommon for a narcissist to do the opposite, despite Mm. saying because they need to win, they need to control, even Mm. in the sacred of spaces. Or you can say, I don't like it when you don't call me when you're coming home late for dinner right. and rather than them then calling you when they're going to be late, right. for dinner, they continue to not call you. It's just this, they need to counter what you're saying. They mm-hmm. need to dominate the situation. And so you are constantly feeling as though you don't even want to tell them what your preferences are because they're going to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a very common behavior. Another one is minimization where what you value Mm -hmm. to be important to you, or it could even be your creative expression. You have a hobby, you have some interest. And rather than valuing what you value, they minimize it. They put it down. They don't respect it as being something Mm. that's important to you. It could be a complaint that you raise. And it's similar to saying you're too sensitive. Well, if you weren't, you're, you're so perfect. It's ways to minimize what you're trying to have an authentic conversation about. And they do whatever they can to avoid authenticity. Yeah. So, another one is deflection. You raise a reasonable complaint or concern, and they change the topic. And suddenly you find yourself talking about yeah. something that the abuser is criticizing you for. It right. has nothing to do with
2: the true argument.
0: Opinion. Exactly. You it's funny, this earnest desire to resolve something that's been on your mind and you cannot get to the bottom of it. Well, one
1: right. of the things that I always see, Annette, and it's funny, like the way you're bringing all of this forward. And one of the things that I see is like, especially like when you're texting or going back and forth, they will pick up on the one thing that has zero to do with what you are talking about. You know, it, you say, you know, right. I, I've, I've loved you my whole life. Loved, loved. Oh, so you don't love me anymore. Like that is not at all what I'm saying. Like they pick up on something that is just that one thing that they'll be able to take and turn and shift and create an argument out of of what I call a soup topic. Like you're talking about soup. It has
0: nothing to do with what the situation is. It's really at hand. That's yeah. so true. They, it's, it's really about powering over and mm-hmm. deflecting away from them having to manage their own defenses yeah. and taking a good look at themselves. They mm-hmm. can't do that. They feel attacked. And so they counterattack. even though you're yeah. not attacking them, you're communicating in a healthy way and they don't have a tolerance for it. Yeah,
2: that's so interesting. I think that's exactly what my ex-husband used to do. And I used to explain it as I feel as though he was very insecure. I I think his father was very hard on him as a child and made him grow up feeling less than. Mm -hmm. And so I perceive because I am a very type A, very driven type of person. And he would come home from work and I would have dinner on the table, the kids would be bathed and the homework would be done and everything would be perfect. And I did that because I felt like uh, something I was doing in the relationship is wrong and that he was stressed out and that's why he was behaving this way. But as I removed myself from the, the situation, what I realized is that when I did all of these things, it made him feel less than necessary or insecure. And then when he was feeling that way, he immediately turned back at me and lashed out at me because he was feeling badly. So it was as though he wanted to make me feel as badly as he felt himself.
0: That's a good observation, right? Although you were doing
1: it to try to make life perfect, although I was
2: doing it to try and make life easier for him.
0: It wouldn't have mattered if you bathed the kids and had them ready for bed or you didn't bathe the kid and they feel inferior. There's a deep insecurity but there's also I mean, since we're touching on this, there is what I call the pillars of abuse. And tell yeah, about that.: The pillars describes what makes up an abusive mindset, And the first one is a faulty belief system. And so that could be something like patriarchy, where yeah. they believe that they're in a hierarchical position. This is deeply entrenched beliefs that. Mm-hmm. You are not going to convince them otherwise in therapy or in a uh, lengthy conversation. They have this deeply rooted belief that they are entitled to require that you submit to their lead. Another pillar is image management. They mm-hmm. care so much about how others perceive them. And so they work really hard to be perceived Within their culture, their microculture, right. uh, and, and microculture is different. So, in one microculture, it might be cool to be machismo, and so yes. they they act out that way. In other microcultures, it might be cool to be philanthropic and mm. a community leader, and so they they are a chameleon, and they want to be perceived by others in a way mm. that brings them accolades, in mm. a way that brings them favor. And so when you, as a victim, threaten their image by telling someone about what's going on, they are very threatened and they will retaliate. And they, even if they aren't threatened, even if you do nothing along the way, along the process of the relationship, they will portray you in a lesser light. Mm. They might, it, it could be something so subtle, like, Um, my husband used to say, and and in my relationship, we were able to reconcile, but um, that's not usually what happens. And he did very intense work with experts in the field. Wow. So I don't want to minimize and say that can't ever happen. um, But it's not likely to happen. Only three to 11% of abusers are willing to look at their stuff and change. Yeah. um, And, it took a three year separation before we Mm -hmm. were able to put our marriage there. And we've been together for several years now. That's
1: amazing.
0: It is. It is amazing. Really. He did the work and I had to do a lot of work on my trauma and code. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I, you know, I'm
1: curious, you brought up culture and I'm curious how culture plays into this. You know, there's, there's so many times that we will have these conversations and, um, And I'll find that like Shelby and I will have just different labels. And she's like, oh, well, that's a covert narcissist. I was like, girl, where I'm from, we just call that a little bitch. You know, it's just completely (laughs) different. Right. We don't even have the same labels for things. Then the way that we handle them seems like they're so different. And you just brought up such an interesting point that within different cultures, there could be this glorifying of particular behaviors that in another culture might be considered narcissistic or, or something similar. Are there any studies out there, anything that you have in terms
0: of bits and pieces as to how culture plays into this? Um, I can't cite a study, right? I mean, I read a lot of studies, but I can't just pull one up right now. No, it's fine. But I can tell you you that. can tell
1: me, girl, that you, you make up a fake study. That's fine. <laughs> do no no you
0: think? That. <laughs> but, but um culture plays a big part in how victims, unconscious bias plays a big mm. part in how victims are treated. So in like a wealthy white culture, the the female is usually considered either stupid, Mm -hmm. uh, uneducated, or that she's not telling the truth.
1: But definitely that submissive role that you are a station below where he is at the very
0: least. But Mm -hmm. in in a culture that is, um, well, let me just bring up a Latinx culture where usually both the husband and wife are working full time. Yeah, woman is expected to make the dinner and put the kids in the bath and so forth. And she might reach out to another woman in the extended family. And she might say, my husband comes home and just drinks beer and watches football games on the sofa and doesn't help me with anything. And her female extended family member will say, that's your job in life.
2: So right. she doesn't
0: support her. She believes in her culture. That is the role of a woman to play. Now, not, not all Latinx cultures are like this. Sure. And not all Asian cultures, but there is a theme that does exist in different microcultures. Mm-hmm. And you, part of what we do at the Men Project, before we train a group of individuals, is we go in and really dissect what are the cultural norms so that we know Mm -hmm. how to address them because no two cultures are alike, but
2: culture plays
0: a big role. And it is crazy, right? Because it's so unique to every
2: situation. And it's funny that we're even talking about culture, is because I used to articulate my experience to my friends like talking to somebody in a different culture or with a different language because it was almost as though my ex-husband and I spoke a different language when we were together. So I used culture a lot as a, a metaphor for what experience that I was going through. It was like, or I lived in Japan for a while and the women in Japan typically don't work. And, and that was just something that was acceptable in their society. And it was judgmental on my part to say, well, that's not what you should do. You should get out there and work because then I was judging her by my own standards. And it was sort of like being in this relationship with my ex husband was like, I couldn't tell him that his way of doing things was not normal because just like my Japanese host mom, she just had a different cultural norm. And it was just like he lived in a different culture and a different world and did things differently and if i tried to explain to him what i was feeling and what i was experiencing he couldn't see that the way that he operated was was not healthy because oh, he just took it as his own norm
0: that's He's very so true crazy. that's why one of the pillars of abuse is a faulty belief system mm-hmm. they are mm. the way we describe it is moralistic judgments based on limited knowledge family system or social bias causing oppression of others. So it Mm. can have different Mm. motivating factors, but they are just entrenched and it could be the way they were brought up, but it's not just heterosexual relationships. I was just going to ask about this. Yes. Tell us more. There are some some men who are abused and they have even less resources than females. Right. And there's a predominant amount of abuse in the LGBTQ community. Right. Um, male on male, female on female, oftentimes it's the numbers are more staggering in the LGBTQ community than there are in the heterosexual community, even mm-hmm. though I, I don't want to minimize it from the heterosexual community because it is a Systemic problem. It is one of our national health crises. Right. Domestic violence and all the impact emotionally and physiologically that happens from mm-hmm. experiencing covert emotional abuse or domestic violence. And I wanted to say the last pillar is entitlement, yeah. where they feel <laughs> they're entitled regardless of merit. They believe they deserve preferential treatment or double standards. So a boundary that may apply to one person in the household doesn't apply to them. They just feel they are above that. And they usually don't respect anybody else's boundaries. They, I call them boundary crashers. They just blow right through a boundary. They don't understand that for healthy autonomy, you each have your own preferences, likes and dislikes and, and they don't respect them. They really just are out to dominate, even though it might be very subtle, which makes it so confusing. There's so many terms and definitions that describe these manipulative behaviors. Mm-hmm. It's not just blame shifting, minimization, countering. There's so many yeah. they can find on our website, but it's like, I like the metaphor of a maze. Um, in a maze, there's an entry point and an exit point, mm-hmm. and there's only one path through And that path is the only path of least resistance. All of the rest of the paths have dead ends. And so a healthy conversation has mutual respect, Mm. mutual listening, an earnest desire to want to understand the other person's perspective, Mm. and then you move through mutually respectful solutions. You may not agree, but you mutually respect each other and you can agree to disagree, not Mm. with a narcissist. Every time you try to have an authentic conversation, you're blocked, you're stonewalled, either with a deflection, the blaming, um, the minimization, the countering. There's never an authentic Mm. solution. It's just block, 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 block. And the the more behaviors at play, the more confused the victim becomes. And she is so confused, she can't even identify what started the argument in the first place
2: because many
0: different behaviors have played out. Mm -hmm. And so that's why if you go to our website and look at the terms and definitions, you will gain clarity about your relationship. You will see if there's a pattern of behaviors because any one of us can act out and do something stupid or say something that's inconsiderate.
1: I do it every day, every day.
0: (laughs) But when someone points it out, a healthy person is able yeah. to internalize that and say, wow, I don't want to do that. That's, I, I didn't realize I was doing that and I'm going to stop from this day forward. And mm-hmm. they do stop, but yeah. a narcissist cannot manage their own defenses. They might stop blame shifting if you confront that, but they'll shift over right. to, to another behavior one behavior because they have, they have this, it's this strong sensation that they need to be defensive. And all the time, yeah, all the time. And so they're either defending, but normally the way they defend is to attack. It's to be offensive. And so the victim is often in the hot seat feeling Mm. as they've done something wrong. And the victim who is an empathic person is willing to self-reflect. And so much of the time, the dynamic in an abusive relationship is that the woman is codependent. She's very empathic and willing to look at herself, and takes on overfunctions in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Takes on more responsibility than she should to hold up the lion's share of the responsibility of yes. maintaining the relationship. And he underfunctions. She might even mm-hmm. do things to help him understand. I'm going to find you a good therapist. I'm going to find you a good book to read. She's read you, the- you, you, you. And Mm -hmm. he doesn't read any of the books. He doesn't want to. He wants it to be just the way it is. So he blames
2: her for being controlling. Absolutely. Wants to be in control of all the things. This is. uh, It's crazy. And
1: and I know right now, you know, I want to speak to my woman out there, my girl out there, girl, I know that you are listening and you're like, oh, my God, (laughs) I see this in my partner that you are seeing this right now in the person that you are with. And, and maybe there's some, some been red flags for a while. Maybe this is new for you, but I know that there are some of you out there that are hearing this perhaps for the first time and perhaps for the thousandth time, but it's resonating with you. So I want to speak to that woman right now Annette. and what does she do? Like, what is the first step is she's hearing this and she's hearing these words and is connecting where does she go right now to start to further shed light and illuminate her perspective and have those aha moments and start to figure out what her path to wholeness and surviving that will hopefully lead to thriving look like.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that the first necessary step to healing is clarity. So, If she goes to our website and looks at the terms and definitions of covert emotional abusive behaviors, really familiarizes herself so that she can in her mind, write a narrative about the common problems that she's experiencing and be able to label them with proper language Mm -hmm. that is going to validate her. It's going to help her see things more accurately and not where she is self-blaming another term for codependency that Ross Rosenberg uh, came up with is called self-love deficit disorder. There's truly Mm. lack of self-love. They have lost their identity. Mm. They they might've never had a real confident identity, a real sense of autonomy. And so it's so important that she then works in therapy not in couples counseling, but in therapy on her codependency on the way she really thinks about herself. So often women in these relationships think, and men too, I shouldn't say that. They think I must not be lovable. There must be Uh, something intrinsically wrong with me. I must mm -hmm. not know how to communicate effectively. Maybe if I say it this way, they'll get what I'm trying to say, but it doesn't matter how you say it. They're not going to get it because they're operating from an entirely different playbook. They are not operating from a playbook where empathy is present or where reality is present or where authenticity is present. You touched on why your ex-husband, how he was treated harshly by Mm -hmm. his father. I want to touch on something that so many men end up being abusive or narcissists because when they're boys, they're told, "Don't run like a girl," or <laughs> "Don't cry like a girl. don't cry at all." They're, these feminine traits are ridiculed and they're diminished, they're demeaned. And so they learn to identify female traits as something mm. shame to be shameful of, and also in that process, because they're not allowed to express a healthy, wide range of emotions. They become emotionally stunted. They're Mm -hmm. emotionally immature. They never develop a full range of emotions. They're not in touch with how they really feel about when they're confused, when they're feeling self-doubt, when they're they don't have those emotions. They don't trust emotions. Mm -hmm. Where women and girls are allowed to experience emotions and they are encouraged to be empathic. And so a boy, they're basically the only emotion that is really tolerated, and it's not a healthy one is anger. It's okay mm-hmm. if you're angry on the football field. It's okay if you're angry at your classmate like it's a common emotion that is acceptable it's there's not breaks put on that like well, let's talk about why you're angry. They don't process through that, and kids need adults to help them gain an accurate Perspective about their viewpoints. We need to be speaking into kids and helping them develop those emotions. And you can even just go on the internet and download, they have them in different age groups, the smiley faces or the description Mm -hmm. of emotions, depending on age groups. Yeah. You can help your child when they're going through a difficult time. Tell Mm -hmm. me, let's, let's examine what you're feeling and let's really talk about that and really help them develop. That's one of the best things you can do for your kids is to have them have a proficient emotional IQ.
2: So that's why
0: you're, you're dealing with someone with an entirely different playbook Mm -hmm. and they're not going to just go to couples therapy and have it be fixed because most couples Mm -hmm. therapists are not trained in a So they it's just going to
1: become a blame game, but in it's, therapy, it's
0: he said <laughs> he said story, and yes, going to be overwhelmed and not know who's telling the truth. Exactly. They're not going to be expecting the lies that the abuser tells, the false accusations, the blame shifting, the minimus, all of the all the ways he covertly blames the victim for anything and everything, and the real issue never gets discussed. And they also in couples therapy. They treat the couple as though it's a mutual problem. But Mm. abuse is not a mutual problem. Abuse is a choice. It's not an accident. It's a choice. And it's never the victim's fault. It is a choice that the abuser is making to be abusive. They don't think they're being abusive. They might not, they might be really offended if someone says that's abusive because that's not their self image. That's not the way they themselves. Yeah, for sure. But but if you're treated like it's a 50, 50 problem or even a 20, 80 problem, it doesn't matter because the abuser is going to look at her 20% as though it's 100% of the problem. They're not able to self-reflect. They're not able to really look at themselves. And most therapists are not willing to confront abuse so many therapists that I've interviewed and I've interviewed hundreds of them have said things like, well, I'm not paid to confront. They, mm. they don't think it's their role. They think it's their role to mm. explore feelings, but you can't explore an abuser's feelings. You need to explore his faulty thinking It's his mm. that need to be addressed. And so couples therapy ends up being highly traumatic for the victim and the abuser ends up controlling the narrative. And it's something that is contraindicated for the experts in the field. They know that couples therapy is contraindicated that that's not the path to take. So I'm not offering a lot of hope, but I would like to throw out one resource. There is a therapeutic group um, outside of Seattle and they do online services and it's called the marriage recovery center Mm -hmm. and they specialize in this area And so you need to give yourself permission to interview therapists. You can call them up and say, I'm shopping for a therapist and ask them questions and talk about that. You're you're a victim of covert emotional abuse. Ask them if they've Mm -hmm. had continuing education units on the topic. Mm
1: -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if they
0: haven't, then move on to the next person because you want to be with somebody who is trained or at least someone who's really willing to learn. They can go to our website and learn a lot from our website. And they can take our classes. We um, offer continuing education classes for therapists. That's great. Yeah. yeah so that. Tell
2: us a little bit about the mission of the MEND project. I know we've been referring to your website throughout the interview here today, but I would love to know a little bit more how that program was started and what the ultimate goal is.
0: Well, I just noticed in my relationship with my husband, I was so confused. I had mm-hmm. no idea why I was seeking a separation at 15 years. Other than that, I was emotionally so fragmented. I hadn't realized that at the time, but I developed complex post-traumatic stress disorder and my body, my physiology was falling apart. My immune system had collapsed mm. all these like autoimmune diseases. And I was so sick. Like the doctors kept wanting to put me in the hospital to try to figure out what is the source of these problems? Your and body was just fighting all of the time inside to try to delta. make it. Exactly. Yeah. I just knew for my own health and well being, I had to get some peace. I had to remove myself from the hostile environment. And, um, and then what happened to me was I had reached out to the leaders in my Bible study group. And instead of believing me and supporting me, they criticized me and judged me and told other people Mm. not to talk to me either until I re-entered couples therapy. I had stopped couples therapy because I instinctively knew we had tried so many therapists and nothing was working. It was just more traumatizing um, because he would tell, he would falsely accuse me of things. And it it was just chaotic. And Mm -hmm. so I knew that was not helpful. And so rather than support me, this is what I call double abuse when a victim finally finds the courage to speak up or reach out for help. And rather than being believed, they're interrogated, they're criticized, they're ignored. It might be that they're ignored. It might be that they're treated with apathy where they don't show the helper or the responder doesn't act like they care at all. That can be really traumatic. It's these, it, it could be that they ask them pointed and leading questions like, Well, have you tried this? Well, have you done that? Well, you need to submit more and pray more. You need to, Mm -hmm. it can be any kind of instructions that are not correct and not helpful that Mm -hmm. then are being imposed on the victim rather than the victim being met where they are treated as an Mm -hmm. autonomous individual, as an equal, they talk down to the victim and power over them. So it's another layer of abuse. And this was such a phenomenon that I was noticing with other victims that I was interfacing with at the time that I just felt it had to have its own name. Um, Double Mm -hmm. abuse had to have a name. Otherwise, how can we address it? Because you can't say just secondary abuse that has multiple meanings. Mm -hmm. It could mean multiple abuses by the same person, you know, it has multiple meanings. And so I coined the term double abuse and trademarked it and Um, It's resonating with um, domestic violence agencies across the country because finally victims are being validated for the secondary layer of harm that they're experiencing and responders are being held accountable to not respond in a way that causes double abuse. So we have Mm -hmm. tools on our website for how to interface with victims, how to interface with abusers and Mm but that was really the motivating factor for starting the men project was mm-hmm. not only was I so confused and therapy didn't help. And we could, we had the resources to be able to afford some of the best therapists in the country. And at least by their published works, and it did not yield results that were helpful. And then the double abuse that I experienced was something that I, that other victims were describing. And I just felt, I want to, provide a website that will educate victims and help the responders to mm-hmm. so we, we offer a lot of trainings. We do, um, on our, we have a YouTube channel where I do one intensive a month where I go deeper into a topic, mm-hmm. like why specifically couples therapy doesn't work. I think I did a two hour episode on that. And, and then trainings where we take responders through, the beginning, the middle and the end of what it takes to travel with a victim on their journey towards healing, Mm -hmm. really understand how to identify abuse, how to interface with abusers, how to not collude with them. Because so often this happens in faith communities a lot. They'll the past, well, I'm going to take your husband to lunch and try to align with him and Mm -hmm. try to have him trust me. Well, in the meantime, all he hears is this false narrative. Right. It it skews his perspective. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just
1: the result of this patriarchal society that we live in. Right. So many things point directly to that. We see it all the time when women are raped. Right. It's Mm -hmm. because she was wearing this or she did this or God forbid she got drunk and did something. You know, I mean, we see it all of the time the Such. way that women are treated when they are giving testimony. Um, mm-hmm. We see it in our faith-based communities all of the time as well. What do we have to do? The women, woman has to submit to the man. And so in this particular case, this double abuse, it's really hardwired and baked
2: mm-hmm. into
1: our society. And it takes a woman, a woman like you, to set up training and knowledge and resources for those that are out there trying to help but don't understand that they're really Mm -hmm. contributing to the problem.
0: We've got a lot of undoing that we need to do. And and so true. It's, it's a daunting task because it's so insidious and pervasive. Yes. And and Mm -hmm. just to reflect back on faith communities again, you know, they're not all their intentions are, I don't think it's intentional No. but sometimes it is intentional. Sometimes such (laughs) patriarchal churches, that they expect that the woman stay in an abusive situation Mm -hmm. win her husband over to Christ, I cannot tell you how many churches we train churches a lot, how they'll have this perspective and they ignore the fact that abuse has a generational effect. Yes. Either raises up new baby abusers or Mm -hmm. baby victims that become adults and repeat the cycle. It ignores the fact that she's, probably has post-traumatic stress disorder and her body is falling apart, it ignores the responsibility that the male has for his part in the relationship. And it lays so much responsibility on the woman to hold the marriage together. And so Mm -hmm. we see this happening a lot. And I know that your podcast is a lot about self-identity and not losing Mm -hmm. identity, but what happens in these situations, if she is well-invested in her church or synagogue or mosque, And it's a real Mm. part of her life. And she is doubly abused by those spiritual leaders. She loses support from the very, Mm. she spends her time where her social network of friends spills out of, and she has a pure heart wanting to do the right thing, wanting to live out her life in a healthy way. And now the very people that she thought she was attached to in a safe way Are judging her, are criticizing her, are abandoning her, are ostracizing her, as punishment, which is really common in um, faith-based communities to ostracize as a punishment. And if she files for divorce, she's many churches have this procedure of excommunication, where she's publicly excommunicated from the church, regardless of the circumstances that led to the divorce that caused the divorce, and so it really hurts their identity. And oftentimes victims might have post-traumatic stress. And then when they are doubly abused, they end up with complex post-traumatic stress because their trauma was exacerbated.
1: Mm, Unbelievable.
2: I'm so thankful that you've been able to join us today. And I'm really thankful that you've taken the initiative to start the men project to provide victims and communities education on this topic, because I think it is so important that women acknowledge and recognize the situation that they are in. Again, for so many years, I had no idea I was even in this situation. And I want women out there to be able to access your resources so that they can put a name on what it is that they're feeling and experiencing so that they can communicate that to healers and therapists and people who can provide them the resources that they need to remove themselves from these situations and gain the clarity and the healing that they need. And it starts with you. And thank you so much, Annette, for all you've done for women around the world to help them heal from these types of traumas and get help, the help they need. Thank you,
0: thank you, Shelby. Thank you both yeah. of you so much. I appreciate being here.
2: Yeah, it was thank uh, you. such an it honor to have really. you. Thank you so much. So I have a friend that is going through some really big challenges like this right now and is really starting to have some of these aha moments by just putting definitions to the behaviors that she's witnessing Mm. in her spouse. And so I want to leave our listener out there with some really key takeaways because no one deserves to be a victim of covert emotional abuse or domestic violence. And so there are some important messages in our show today. And one thing that I was actually surprised at is Annette said that not all abusers are narcissists, but all narcissists are abusers. So ladies, if you're in a relationship with someone that you can now define as a narcissist based on the definitions and information we've shared with you, please know that this is an abusive relationship. Absolutely.
1: And one thing that I think is key to also recognize is that narcissists will often use multiple behaviors at once yeah. to attack or put down their victims, to put us down, to put you down. And I think part of that is about confusing you. Yes. With all of these different behaviors happening at one time, it, it
2: becomes difficult to see the forest for the trees. Yeah, And I feel like it was using multiple behaviors that caused me to really lose my own identity through this whole Mm. thing so hard. And I I know our listener out there may be feeling the very same way. And so Mm -hmm. some of the things that are recognizable pillars of or ingredients for narcissism are things like a faulty belief system where you feel like you're significant other is just operating in a whole different realm of reality Um, image management is another one of those pillars where they have a strong awareness of how others are perceiving them and are constantly trying to control the image that they're putting out there Uh, Another key component or pillar of narcissism is that hierarchical or preferential treatment where they feel like they deserve preferential or special treatment and entitlement Mm -hmm. is that they feel like they're entitled regardless of merit. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So important.
1: Another thing that stood out to me was when she was talking about codependency Mm -hmm. and that another term for codependency is self love deficit disorder, Mm. where you completely take yourself out of the picture and deny what it is that you need to be healthy and focus in completely on the narcissist. So you have got to seek out
2: support through a trained therapist if you are finding yourself in this space. Absolutely true. And The last thing that I want to focus in on is a phrase that Annette has coined as double abuse. And this is so pervasive and it happened to me as well. And it's when the victim finally finds the courage to speak out against her abuser and then is condemned or criticized Mm -hmm. or ignored by those in her surrounding community And when this happens, when her claims are dismissed, then it creates additional layers of abuse or harm to the victim. And it can cause the victim to want to not leave this abusive circumstance for fear of retribution from those in her community, further alienating her and causing her to question Again, her identity, because oftentimes it's the identity that women form in these communities of faith or communities of friends or neighborhoods that makes them feel like they have a safe space. And when they're being alienated by a community in which they felt like they have a safe safe space, it creates, again, this identity confusion. So Mm. critical.
1: We want you to know that we hear you. Mm. And we see you. Yeah. And... Um, thank you for having the courage to bring this into the forefront and to bring it to our podcast so that we can shine a light on this and support our girl out there yeah. who is faced with this same thing. And, and, and honey, we want you to know that we see you mm-hmm. and we hear you and we are here for you as well. And so... Let's stop sweeping the things under the rug because our gut tells us what's right and what's not right. And just know that we are all in this together and we are willing to fight with you and for you. And as always, we love you and we can't wait to spend some more time with you. So have an incredible, incredible week. We cannot wait to see you during our next episode. um, When we all join hands, jump up and get back together for a new episode one more time in the middle. We'll see you soon, ladies.